The effort by New York City officials to house some of the asylum seekers that have descended on the Big Apple in recent weeks and months outside of the five boroughs on the city's dime has gotten entangled in the legal system after county leaders all over the state took steps to block migrants from being housed in their communities. For more on the legal drama surrounding the executive orders from county officials, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Don Chesworth, a partner in the Rochester Law Office of Tully Rinke. Welcome back to the show, Don. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. So, Don, can you kind of lay out what some of these executive orders say in terms of allowing asylum seekers from New York City to be housed in their communities, largely at uh, hotels that the New York City officials are looking to pay for? Well, what the sense of the orders is, is that the, the orders have prohibited hotel and motel owners uh, or dwelling uh, owners in Onondaga and other counties from entering into agreements with any organization or any other municipality for the purpose of housing these people uh, who are immigrants and uh, who are within the country and who don't necessarily have legal status. So the, the, the orders have said you can't enter into an agreement with some other municipality to do that. And generally they say, if you do so, there will be a fine and it could be, it will be considered a misdemeanor. So the question then is, does a county executive have the authority to do that or a county manager or some other county lead head? Well, yeah, traditionally we think of executives at all levels of government having broad latitude to act if there's an emergency and they're arguing that these are emergency situations. So what sort of authority do executives at the county level have to restrict who may or may not be coming into their communities, whether it's under the U.S. Constitution or the state constitution? Honest interpretation of the municipal home rule law. A, a county executive, one of the powers that he has or she has is to issue orders that are important for the public safety and health of the citizens of the county. That's about as broad a definition as you can come up with. And that is part of the language of it's uh, actually Section 10 of the home of the home rule law of the state of New York. So they do have a basis for making that order. Uh, on the other hand, you know, to say that you can't enter into an agreement with another municipality or another entity for the purpose of housing people is a uh, pretty broad reach. And uh, the courts are going to have to determine if that is within that scope of power of the public safety subject, as I mentioned to you. Well, yeah, the. Eric Adams administration in New York City has sued about half the county leaders in the state that issued executive orders, essentially forbidding private businesses, largely hotels, from accommodating asylum seekers. And their lawsuits allege that the executive orders were issued without, quote unquote, any rational basis. How does that idea of a rational argument for the emergency declarations enter into uh, the constitutionality or, or legality of the executive orders? Is there some sort of rational test, for example, that we need to apply for an emergency declaration? The question is, is it an emergency? And the funny part about this is that if 
the mayor of the city of New York is saying he has an emergency and by sharing it with others, they don't have an emergency. That's kind of a difficult argument to make, but that sounds like what, what the argument is. Is it a difficult argument considering the scope of the issue in New York City compared to the scope of the issue in some of the upstate counties? So if New York City, for example, has tens of thousands of migrants, but they're looking to give a few dozen to, say, Orange County, where they allegedly have the hotel rooms to accommodate them, wouldn't you suggest that that you know, could be seen as a different type of emergency for one community versus another, that the, the stakes aren't the same? That that's what the argument's going to be, but I suppose the the question is, if you look at the entire population and then you determine what percentage of the entire population you're talking about, then that's going to be part of the discussion. It's an interesting argument, uh, and and I think one that is that is bad for the counties that have issued those is that they have by executive order, attempted to create a misdemeanor and attempted to put a fine in place if private businesses enter into an agreement with another private business or another municipality. That seems to be very broad. So the question is, is it an overreach in their responsibility or their authority, or is it not? And only the courts are going to tell us the answer to that. Would you anticipate that the courts in evaluating, say, the New York City lawsuit against nearly three dozen counties would evaluate the executive orders on a case-by-case basis to determine, say, their legality? Or is this something where the courts can sort of paint with a broad brush? Well, I think they can look at most of them, and, and the language is very similar in the half a dozen or so that I reviewed. Right. And basically, it says that you can't uh, enter into an agreement for the purpose of providing housing or accommodation for migrants and asylum seekers without a license granted by the county. The county does have the authority clearly to to grant licenses, but I don't know that the county has the authority to say, we're gonna grant a license if you rent your spot to one person rather than another. What may turn out to be a critical statute here is the human rights law of the state of New York, which specifically provides you cannot discriminate against somebody because of their immigration status and national origin. So that could be an issue that is going to come up here. That is certainly one of the arguments that the city is going to make is that the state law prohibits any discrimination or changes on the national origin or the immigration status of any individual. The counter argument to that is that these people are here in violation of federal law by being here, you know, depending on their individual facts and circumstances, may have committed a misdemeanor. And if they had been kicked out of the country another previous time or two, then their coming into the country may end up being a felony. So those are the other kinds of things that need to be evaluated as you go through this litigation process. Well, when we think about the litigation process, we've got cases being brought by multiple stakeholders at different 
levels of courts, at different court systems. So how do all of those cases potentially interact? For example, do federal courts take supremacy on, on this type of issue? Will cases proceed likely along parallel paths? Where is the end point for all of these cases likely? If you're in the state court system, you're going to end up in the state court of appeals if the court of appeals wishes to take the case. On the other hand, if if it, if it goes to a Supreme Court or county court and there's an appeal from that, it's going to go to the appellate division in which that court is located. Uh, it may eventually get removed to the federal court because a lot of this interplay is about enforcement of federal statutes. And that certainly is a relevant factor to all of this. If it goes into a federal court, then it's going to be in the district where the controversy is. And then eventually uh, it would go to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in New York City. So uh, and, and in theory could go to the Supreme Court of the United States, but that, that would take a long time. And you're talking here about an emergency declaration and an emergency situation. And probably that long, drawn-out process isn't appropriate for this. Well, we've been speaking with Don Chesworth. He's a partner in the Rochester Law Office of Tully Renke. Don, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. David, you're welcome. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.